Good morning. Great to see you this morning. And no, I did not raise my hand if they asked this was the first time you've been to CCT. But it is good to be home. It was so nice to uh, join the group. Yes. It was nice on Wednesday to come back and spend an evening worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, especially after a wonderful journey. And uh, just want to thank you all for your prayers and support uh, while we were uh, away in these three different locations. And listen, our God is an awesome God. And he is doing things around the world that he has always done because of his great love with which he has loved all the world and sent his son to die for the sins of the world. And there are people in Australia and New Zealand who are on fire for Jesus and who are expecting his soon return. And I have to say, it was uh, 21 days. is a long time to be gone. But uh, it was such an enjoyable trip, partially because of the company that I was allowed to keep. There are two guys that laugh like a couple of crazies uh, for three weeks. And then one of the things I so enjoy about ministering with Amir is that when game day comes around or the conference day comes around, it's armor up, get the job done, preach Christ and him crucified, and let the word of God go out and prevail. And we saw his hand move mightily. At every location. And of course, the enemy left us completely alone (laughs) for two seconds. Remember those two seconds when uh, we actually got sleep? And uh, it was just a tremendous time of ministry. So with that said, would you say a warm Southern California Calvary Chapel Tustin welcome to my dear brother in Christ, Amir Sarfati. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here again. Um, Sorry I took your first Sunday right after you got back from 21 days of being stuck with me all around. But we went all the way down under and to the uttermost part of the world. And and, uh, listen, they they love this church. I think that uh, all of them are watching you guys online, and they're super excited. Your pastor did an unbelievable job there, and you should be very proud of him. Very, very proud. Now, uh, the message was very clear, although the enemy was working very hard on trying to stop him, because of his message, from uh, even speaking on the first day. But uh, we had so much fun, and uh, we did it, and it was good. And, and one of the things that came to my mind while we were there is a topic that is not often being taught about, and that is the Bema seat of Jesus. Every, we, we love to teach about the rapture of the church, We love to teach about um, the millennial kingdom or sometimes even about a tribulation. I taught right here on the topic of the Antichrist. But oftentimes people skip or neglect the very first thing that we are going to do when we reach heaven. The very first place we're going to stand and the very first experience we're going to have. But um, a lot of people don't understand why is it that we should even be interested in topics such as the rapture and all those events that follow that one. And I want to remind you, this is a test of your spiritual walk with the Lord. And what, am I, what do I mean by that? The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, If then you were raised with Christ, in other words, You might be people that think that you follow Christ and you are His, but hey, only if 
you have been raised with Christ. And to understand what it means, go back chapter 2. He raised us from the death of, that of, of our trespasses and our transgressions. So that's the, the resurrection of every believer who is being born again and spirit filled is having while he is still alive in this lowly body. So if then you were raised with Christ, in other words, if you are born again, spirit filled, walking uh, in the truth and led by the spirit, then seek those things which are above. (laughs) In other words, There is no point for a born-again, spirit-filled, someone who is in the truth, found in the truth. There's no point for him always, all day long, to dwell on the things of this earth. Because far greater things are ahead of us for far longer than the time that we have on this earth. So he says, then... Set, seek those things which are above. Look for them. Talk about them. Study them. Seek those things which are above. What, what things? <laughs> where Christ is. And then he tells you exactly where he is. Where is he? Sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, the things all around us are nothing compares to the things that we are going to endure and go through and experience and, and uh, I guess, um, soak in. When we will see him, and we will not see him here. The Bible is telling us where he is and tells us, look, while you're still here, talk about that, seek that, long for the presence of Christ who is at the right hand of the Father. He's up there. This is why Christ said that He is going to come and receive us unto Himself. So where He is, where is He? The right hand of the Father. He's up there. Where He is, we will also be. Now, looking up is a very biblical thing. In other words, we should live our life on this earth with our heads looking up. The Bible says in Philippians 3.14, I press on towards the goal for the prize on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Psalm 121 verse 1, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. Isaiah 40 verse 26, lift up your eyes on high. And see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might. And the strength of his power. Not one is missing. But we have to look up. We have to lift up our eyes. All the way on high. Daniel 4.34 And at the end of the time. I Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven. And my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom is from generation to generation. John 11 verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up His eyes. Even Christ, while on earth, lifted up his eyes. Father, he said, I thank you that you have heard me. There's nothing wrong with looking up. Nothing wrong with seeking those things that are above. So there is nothing wrong with the teaching on or the study of the topics of the rapture. And the the study of the topic of the Bema Seat of Christ, the study of the topic of the the, uh, marriage uh, of the Lamb, and and the study of returning with Christ back on earth and reigning with... These are the things we need to talk about and, and seek those things. Even in Acts chapter 1 verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, when Jesus ascended, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Look, even the disciples, when they looked at Jesus departing, their eyes were looking up. Because that's where Jesus went to. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's up there. He's in heaven. And we need to be heaven-bound people. We need to be seeking those things which are above. Hebrews 9, 27, 28. And is it a, 
and, and that now comes uh, the topic of this morning. And because a lot of people don't understand, look, we have a limited time here on earth, and everything we do, and everything we say, and everything we think about is being recorded somewhere. And there's a whole message I gave on the book of life, which uh, speaks of how God has records of everything. And it's interesting because there's one thing that is for sure. It is appointed for man, what? To die once, unless you are alive at the time of the rapture. Okay, we don't mind that, do we? But even if we die... To die once, but after, what comes? Every person on planet earth, whether a believer or a non-believer, at some point will have to stand before the Creator and give some sort of account of what He did. And even believers, we don't understand that. We'll, We'll try to analyze which type of judgment we are going to go through, but... Even for us. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those, now watch this, to those who eagerly wait. Do you eagerly wait for his return? To, then to you, he will appear a second time. Apart from sin, for salvation, the salvation of your body. Amen? So we understand that death, as much as death is Harsh for the believer, it means nothing. For the believer, it means you're going to sleep. Your body sleeps here while your soul in, instantly is with Christ. To be absent from the body, that means you will depart from your body as your soul, is to be present with the Lord. So, there is, so for, we don't, we're not afraid of death. It's, it's kind of sad that we are sad. If you really think about it. They go to be with Jesus. They're so happy and we're sad that they left. They're sad that we're still here. But that's Hebrews. So judgment is inevitable and we have to understand that. However, even Job, who lived way, way back in history, said that in chapter 19, verse 29, Be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there is a judgment. I mean, judgment was part of the plan of God from day one. However, this morning we will try to understand which judgment are we talking about. First of all, judgment as a word sounds like a very harsh one. Let's face it. Especially when it comes to us personally. It's about us. We are terrified of the judgment of God because we understand from the Bible that it's not always that pleasant. However, there are eight different questions this morning that we want to ask and get answers to regarding that riddle, that some interesting subject called the Bema Seat. Of Christ. First of all, what is a bima? I have to understand. Second, where is the bima? Third, how many future judgments are there anyway? Fourth, who is going to stand there in front of the bima seat? Five, how are we going to even get there? We need to get there to stand there. Six, how is this judgment different from the others? Seven, when will that be? And eight, what is the purpose of the Bema Seat of Christ to begin with. Why do we even need to study that on a Sunday morning on August 11, 2019? So let's start with a prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. And we ask this morning that you will sanctify us by your truth. Father, we don't want our own opinions. We don't want our own interpretation We don't want our own commentaries. We want to hear from you. And we understand that you spoke through your uh, people in ancient times that that all the answers are already there. 
in the Bible. So we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can draw all the answers to our questions from your word this morning. We bless your name, and we ask all of this in the matchless and the most beautiful name of the Holy One of Israel. In the name of Yeshua, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, what is the bima? What is a bima seat? First of all, the Bible talks about the bima seat as a judgment seat. And the word is also translated as a court or tribunal. And it's talking about a platform that could be either public or private. Now, you have to understand, the word bima is not English and it's not even Hebrew. Although the Hebrew language adapted the word from the Greek. So when you go to certain places and you see that elevated platform, in Hebrew you call it bima. However, it is originally Greek. John 19, 13 speaks of the public use of the bima. But why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That in John. All. Publicly. Yet Acts 25, 22. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. And tomorrow he said, you shall hear him. So that was a private Bema experience of someone listening to someone else and having to rule some sort of judgment. Now, let's try and understand where is that Bema seat that the Bible talks about. Romans 14.10 says, Why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So first of all, we know that it's the judgment seat, as the Greek meant, to say, but it's of Christ. Now, where did we just conclude that Christ is? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's not here. He's in heaven. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must, say must. must. It's not an option. We must, we, say we. We We must all, say all, all, appear. Appear is a great word for When Jesus comes to take us and for us showing up in heaven, the Bible uses that word many times in those two occasions. The Lord will appear, those who love is appearing, all of that. And so we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Boom! Remember, there is a way where we're translated from this worldly body. And not only that the body will change, but the location is going to change instantly. How fast is it going to be? In the twinkling of an eye. That's the appearance. Instantly we're going to stand before that particular place. And that each one, each one, not even a single person, each will stay out. Each one may, you know the word may? It means it's an option. May receive the things done in the body according to what he was done, he has done, whether good or bad. Okay? So in this case, it is for sure. Everyone will receive something. But let's see. The Greek, the Greek translation, or actually that's the English, but the Greek original text of 2 Corinthians 5.10. Let's see the Greek one. Do you read Greek? <laughs> I just highlighted for you. Where it says the judgment seat of Christ. It says, Bematos to Christos. Which means the bima seat of Christ. You understand? Bema or bima. That's and bematos. It's the inclination for of Christ. Bematos to Christos. The bima seat. We all must appear before the bima. It speaks of the bima. Now, take a look at the... Three different languages that we can deal with. Up above, it's the English one, Bema. But that's how it's, it's, it's being written in the Greek, Bema. And in the Hebrew, we, we use the word Bama or Bema also. For the same thing, elevated stage for the purpose of either trial, tribunal, award-giving ceremony if it's a sport event, or if it's some sort of a 
a, a, a show or a, an act, such as in the theaters. That's why you can find... Look at this uh, um, picture. This is a picture I took two months ago in the city of Corinth. And remember, Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the Bema Seat. This is in the heart of the ancient city of Corinth. This is what the Corinthians knew what Bema looks like. It's an elevated stage from which they used to judge the people if there was a public trial of that time. If I zoom in, there is even a, the, the little sign, Bima, for that particular platform. If you go to the world of the Greek major structures, the Greek invented what we call theater. You call it, by a mistake, amphitheater. But the real name of a semicircle shaped structure with a stage is a theater, not amphitheater. Amphitheatro means double theater, where there is no stage and it's completely closed, such as the Colosseum in Rome. The Colosseum is an amphitheater, double theater. But only semicircle will be called theater, and you can see all the way up above the people down there, that's the stage, and that is called by the Greek bima. And so the bima could be a place where it's in the middle of the city, where people will have public trials, or it could be in the heart of the theater down below, where the actors are going to perform. We believe, by the way, that in this theater... Not far from where the group of people sit, right below them, that's where Festus and Felix sat there when Paul gave his testimony regarding his faith. Paul was standing on the bima. He was standing on the stage while they were questioning him. So this is the theater in Caesarea by the sea in Israel, and that is the bima of that one. So we can see that bima is being used in the Greek world in different Places, But even in modern days, the name of the national theater in Israel is Habima, the Bima. If you want to take a pic- uh, look at the pictures of this, this is a huge building in the heart of Tel Aviv. It's a little hard to see the picture on the left, but that's the interior of that theater. And the name in the middle of Tel Aviv in, Hebrew, in, in Israel today, Habima, the Bima, right there. I wish they knew what the real Bima is all about. And... And that they really want to stand before that seat of judgment and not another one that is coming at the end of the tribulation period, of the uh, millennial kingdom. So, what is the Bema seat for, for, for us is going to be? A tribunal for what? Rewards. And you have to remember that. It's a tribunal for rewards. And just as much as the Olympic arenas, there was an elevated seat on which the judge of the contest sat. Now you have to understand, the Bible gives us an illustration of our faith as fight the good fight, run the race. And all of these are sport illustrations. And obviously, if you fight the good fight and if you run the race, of course, then what is awaiting for you is also that which is given to the athletes when they do that, and that's the rewards or the awards, of course. Now, how many future judgments are there according to the Bible? It's important that we understand that. The Bible gives us three different judgments that are from this point on until the end, when God will make all things new, new heavens and new earth, there are going to be three different sets of judgments. The first one, of course, as you can see, is the Bema seat of Christ, as in Romans, 11, Romans 14.10, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Then, of course, there is another judgment that the Bible, both in the book of Joel, in the Old Testament, in the book of Matthew, in the New Testament, in the words of Jesus, um, is telling us, and that's the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Remember, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. And remember, both Joel speaks of the time when all the nations of the world will be gathered to the valley in Jerusalem called Jehoshaphat. And this is where God will enter into judgment with them 
on the account of how they treated the people of Israel and the land of Israel. So there's going to be a very interesting judgment that is going to allow those who pass the test to enter into the millennial kingdom and those who did not will not. And then, of course, at the very end of the millennial kingdom, after 1,000 years, God will resurrect every person who ever lived in the history. The Bible says that the sea will give his death and the, the earth and every place wherever someone remains are going to be. The souls will gather to the body and they are going to stand before the Lord And that is what the Bible calls the great white throne. The top one is secured for those who will make it to that judgment seat. The second one is secured for those who will make it through the tribulation. And the third one is secured for all people... Who are not part of the first one. Anyone in the history. And let me show you on a timeline. Where those three judgments are going to be and when. So at some point. Perhaps today. There is going to be a rapture. Hello. And the rapture will bring you. The believers. Us. Straight up to where Christ is. And we will stand before him at the Bema seat right there above. Seven years of tribulation will bring about or usher the, the millennial kingdom eventually. Those who remained from those seven years, the Bible speaks in Revelation chapter, um, uh, excuse me, in, in Matthew chapter 25 and in, in Joel chapter 3. Those who came up against Jerusalem, those who wanted to divide, those who wanted to kill the Jewish people. Remember, the entire seven years tribulation will be predominantly the most anti-Semitic period in the history of planet Earth. Not that today we don't have it, but that will be such a concentrated effort to utterly destroy Israel. And God will preserve them for three and a half years at the very end in the desert. And, and so those who will help, those who will facilitate them, those who will be for them. Jesus said, those who did the least to his brethren, to the least of his brethren, those who took care of them when they were sick, who, those who, who clothed them when they were naked, they will enter into that, of course, millennial kingdom. So the second judgment will be for those who survived the tribulation, and it will be right at the end of the, the tribulation in order to either allow you to enter into that or not. And then after 1,000 years, when the 1,000 years have expired, when Satan has re- is been released for a short time, he will go out and gather a lot of people to come against the believers and the, the beloved city, Jerusalem. That's when God will bring about the, uh, the, the, the final end of Satan. And that's when God will then and only then judge the whole world. And why is that? Because he gave all of us and all of them a thousand years without Satan in the world. A thousand years with Jesus present physically on earth. A thousand years with earth being com- completely rehabilitated with with. You won't have poisonous snakes. You won't have bad things like that around you. There will be a thousand years as a way for people to see the glory of God, to see the justice of God, to see the righteousness of God. And yet, at the end of the thousand years, multitudes will join Satan in his last attempt and still come against Christ and his people. And that is why God says, look, I will make it very clear. A thousand years, and yet the problem of man is the same sin. It's the same rebellion. It's the same our hearts. And therefore, that's, and that's only when I'm going to judge the whole world for eternity. And these are the three future judgments. And you need to ask yourself today, when you look at these three, 
Which one is yours? Do you want to go up and stand before Christ? Do you want to have to go through the seven years tribulation? Or do you want to be one of those non-believers that will eventually be resurrected and face eternal damnation and eternal separation from the love of God and the presence of God? What is your choice? Because your life today will affect your location in, in these three future judgments. Which one is yours? Now, who is going to stand up there in before Jesus. The Bible says that it's absolutely only those who belong to Jesus. Now I know that in the English it says the church only. But the word church in the, in the Hebrew is very different than it is in English. When we hear church, we think of a building with a cross and a crucifix and Mary next to him. That's, that's the way Jewish people, when you say the word church. Well... The congregation is that how we call it. Those who belong to Christ. Those who are His. And the participants in the judgment seat of Christ are members of the New Testament church. These are people who have trusted Christ as Savior from the day of Pentecost until the coming of Christ for His church. It does not include the Old Testament believers. They're going to resurrect after right ushering the millennial kingdom, and they will have a separate time of judgment and reward, of course. Now, what are we going uh, to ask is, how are we going to get there? Look, try to jump right now and get to heaven. (laughs) Try. It's not going to help you, even if you will eat the hottest chili pepper straight from Mexico. You will still stay here. You might fly a little bit, but boom, you're going to fall again. <laughs> Listen, the only way for any person that is alive today to reach the beam of seat of Jesus is either if he was a believer and he died, or he is a believer and he's still alive during the rapture. The rapture of the church is the only way that humans body will translate in from 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 you know uh, uh, what we we say it's a, um, a mortal to immortal state and then of course sometime in the future perhaps today the lord will come back for those who have believed upon him and he will change their bodies from the corruptible to incorruptible as first as first corinthians 15 says we do not want to be uninformed uh, this is in First Thessalonians 4, the whole description of the rapture of the church. And after that event, those believers will go to the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment always comes after resurrection. It's beautiful. And that is more or less what is going to happen. Look at that person who is not standing. You better not be found standing. You need to run the race. You need to fight the good fight. The problem of so many people is that they are passive believers. And they, their life, and, and that's when you're going to stand before Jesus and you will be, believe it or not, ashamed. So I hope that you are running the race. I hope that you're fighting the good fight. And that rapture will bring you to the cloud and will bring you to the presence of the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And you will receive not harsh judgment of hell or or heaven. You're already there. You will receive rewards. You will receive awards. And this is something that we have to understand There is no more condemnation for those who belong to Him. You have to understand, our judgment is completely different than the people who do not trust in Him. And that is how this judgment differs from all others. Let's try to understand how is it completely different. First of all, the Bible says that God will reward the actions of the believers. Psalm 62 verse 12. And that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Now, you have to understand, it's, it, this verse can be taken by religious people and be cooked as a very nice meal of good works. Do good and God will give you brownie points. That's not what it is. 
Unless you believe and trust the Lord Jesus, according to the scriptures, in the word of God, it says you will not be able to enter into his kingdom. So the ticket to enter the kingdom is not your good works, it's your faith in him and what he did for you. You understand that? However, once you already stand before him, it's not if, but once you're there, that's when comes the point of All right, let's open all the cards and see what you've done in your life. And this is when the Bible speaks of how God will reward each person according to what he has done. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Ephesians 6, 8, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, with, uh, whether we are slaves or free. Doesn't matter your, your, your state here. It's what you did for him and the intentions behind what you did for him that will matter when you stand before him. We're not going to be judged for our sin, that's for sure. Sin has been dealt with by the first coming of Jesus. The Bible says he will come the second time, not for the issue of sin, but for the salvation, of course, of our body. This is not a judgment to determine who will enter heaven. You're already in heaven. The sins of believers will not be an issue at that judgment seat of Christ. They have already been forgiven such As the Bible says in Psalm 103, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And that was done through the blood of Jesus on the cross. Our sins have been removed. The Bible says in the prophet Micah chapter 7, 19, He will again have compassion on us and He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all sins into the depth of the sea. The destiny of the Christian has been already settled. With the death of Jesus on the cross, the destiny of the Christian once and for all was settled. It's no condemnation for those who have believed in Christ as in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to have eternal life. You see, it's not about eternal life. And it's not about salvation from the body of the body. It's not about um, forgiveness of sins. It's something else. I'm telling you what it's not. Those who have trusted Christ now possess eternal life. As in John 5.25, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. The Bible says that the minute we believe, we are no longer condemned. But if we do not believe, we are condemned already. Why? Because we were born in sin. Condemnation has been attached from the day Adam sinned at the Garden of Eden. So what happened is, only by faith in Christ, we are separated from that condemnation. We are separated from that accusation. We are separated from that curse of the sin. And we are moving to this amazing place of no more condemnation, no more accusation, no more attached to that thing that afflicted humanity from Genesis chapter 3. Curse is removed, and the curse is the curse of sin. And it is a curse because it is taking humanity throughout generations. Take a look at what we see even here in this state. The curse against believers has been removed. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. He who knew no sin became sin that we will become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. The price was paid already. Jesus paid the price for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live 
for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed, the Bible says. So our life is not about being enslaved to sin, but it's now we live for righteousness. And that's what the Bema Seed is all about. Sin offering. He presented himself as sin offering on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.2 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. The believer's judgment with respect to sin is long past. So when we stand before the judgment seat. The beamer seat of Christ. The sin is not the issue. Okay then. What is it all about? <laughs> First of all, remember, the life of the believer, as I said before, is about to run the race, as Hebrews 12.1 says. And it's about fighting the good fight, as in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. But the rewards, that's what it's all about. Therefore, the judgment seat of Christ is not designed to punish believers, but rather to reward them for their faithful service. All of us give an account of what we have done after trusting Christ as Savior. From the moment you became believers, from the minute you became born again, from the day you trusted in Him as your Lord and Savior, the clock ticks, not about sin, not about condemnation, not about all of that, but it's about, okay, then are you going to be a passive person sitting and doing nothing, or actually receiving a gift from God and not even exercising it, or, God forbid, Using the gift of God to promote yourself. Well, the Bible says the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment of believers' works after salvation. And it's not a judgment about salvation. And Paul gave the analogy in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 12, and 13. He says, according to the grace of God... Which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one make take heed how he builds on it. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will try each one's work or what sort it is. And then he says that some people will suffer loss. Not everyone will receive the same reward. You see... Try to think. It's not about you did something wrong. It's not about losing your salvation. It's not about losing your presence with the Lord. Now you're standing already in front of Him. Now you have a possibility to rejoice with Christ. Knowing that what you did was for Him, through Him, by Him, to serve Him. Or you can actually stand there and watch everything you build burn away. You'll still be there. Your life is saved. You're still going to be alive. But you're going to be left without the thing that you thought you had. Without the things you built yourself for your own sake. 1 Corinthians 3.15, if anyone's work is burned, they will suffer loss. You're not going to suffer pain. You're not going to be in eternal damnation. You're not going to swim in the lake of fire. No. You're going to be standing before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you're going to be ashamed. They themselves will be saved, yet so as through fire. That fire, that the whole thing is going to go through. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's used in scriptures as a symbol of judgment and of God's holiness. By the way, Genesis 19.24, Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Revelation 1.14, His head and His hair were white as white wool. 
white as snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord God, your God is as consuming fire, a jealous God. Fire is something that is the character of God, and it's the righteousness of God, it's the judgment of God, but it's to purify more than anything. It's to make sure that those things that should last will last. By the way, one of the terrible things that you can find in Zechariah chapter 13 is that two-thirds of Israel will perish and the last third will be refined as if he will take them through fire. So when the Lord speaks of how all Israel will be saved when Christ returns, that's the last third that went through the fire. Without shame, that's how you want to stand there. Believers want to appear without shame before they see. Look, 1 John 2.28, Now little children, abide in Him. We have to be in Him, with Him. He has to be the source of our life, the source of our motivation, the source of everything we do, so we're not doing things on our own, on our behalf, for our own sake. Abide in Him, that when He appears, remember, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Look, He appears means you will see Him. You'll only see Him when He appears if you're there. So it's not about salvation. You're already at the presence of Jesus. But you can stand there happy, rejoicing, or sad and ashamed. You don't want to be ashamed at His coming. Full reward. Believers will receive a full reward for their deeds of faith. 2 John 8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we have worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Be careful not to lose reward. Scripture warns believers about losing their reward. This is loss of reward, not a loss of your salvation. Revelation 3.11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Now, I found online this illustration. I'm very bad with illustrations. Some pastors, illustrations come to them so fast. I just don't know how. So I looked online and I found this. Look, we can illustrate the loss of reward in the following manner. Let's say you have recently built a new two-story house. And while on the second floor, you smell smoke. Looking downstairs, you see that the first floor is on fire. You jump out of the second story window to save your life. And you then watch your new house burn to the ground. Obviously, you will have mixed emotions. You're thankful that you were able to jump and save your life, but you're sad because your new house is destroyed. This is similar to those believers who are saved but have nothing to show for it. uh, They squandered their opportunities to live for Christ, and yet they are enjoying the benefits of heaven with Jesus. Position of honor. The Bible says all who experience the judgment seat of Christ will possess the privileges and honors as children of God. Jesus said that he will acknowledge those who have believed in him before the Father and before the angels. In Matthew 10.32, therefore, whoever confess me before humanity, before people, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. There are gifts to be received. 1 Corinthians talks about, Paul writes to the Corinthians, says, but it is written, I has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who have loved him, who loved him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now, now comes a very interesting thing. The rewards will be proportionate. 
The rewards that the believer receives will be proportionate to the faithfulness they've shown in their life. The key is faithfulness to the gifts that God has given. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. There are different degrees of reward. Jesus spoke of them in the parables. In Luke 19, well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Luke 19, 19, his master answered, you take charge of five cities. This difference. How come I don't get ten? Well, be thankful you get five. With your level of, of uh, uh, being so faithful. Crowns. I fought the good fights. I finished the race. Paul talks about himself as he wrote to Timothy. And I've kept the faith. Now there is a, in store for me the crown of righteousness. But look at this. Paul is well aware of the fact that no one today, before the rapture of the church, no one receives yet anything. He will receive it on that day when all of us The believers will stand before him. So he says, look, there is in store for me. Isn't that great? All of you today, if you live rightfully, if you live with the great intention, you can say there is a crown in store for me. You can say that. However, you will get it. That crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me when? On that day. And not only to me, he says, I'm not going to be the only one, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Death no longer has dominion over the believers. From the moment you became believers in Jesus Christ, the possibility of your name being omitted from the book of life is far gone. Believers will be clothed in white garments, having their names written in the Lamb's book of life, by the way. In addition, they will be acknowledged before the Father and the Holy Angel. Revelation 3, 4 and 5 says, Those who overcome will have their names written in the book of life. The Bible says, You have a few names even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy, and he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Look, every person that is alive, if he's a sinner, and he never repented, eventually when he dies, his name is blotted out of the book of life. He's no longer alive. But when we have that power of everlasting life, we cannot, it's, you cannot erase it anymore. (laughs) Because it's now written in blood. And so, you can see, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And when will that be, of course? Right after the rapture. The minute, so the rapture is not only the beautiful act of being translated from this lowly, body into the glorious incorruptible body but the the rapture is about coming from the presence of people to the presence of Christ from the pers- pers- from the prospect of of judgment that is going to befall throughout the tribulation to the prospect of a different judgment where it's all about rewards it's amazing judgment take place sometime of course, before the second coming of Christ. Look, we've got seven years to try all the new gadgets that he prepared for us for the last 2,000 years. He says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's why I'm coming back to take you. What's the point of coming and taking us to be there if we're not, if there is no rapture? What's the point of him even working on places for us, mansions for us, if we're not going to inhabit them? So we have seven years to try all the gadgets, everything. And then, unfortunately, we have to come back to this world for another thousand years. You know, I fought with this for the longest time. I said, Lord, why couldn't we just stay there? But the Lord gave me the verse for... 
For the Lord, a thousand years is like one day. So for us, we will be like him. For us, it's going to be so fast. For those who live here, it'll be a thousand years. Revelation 19, 7 and 8, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her. Fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints, of course. So, of course, let's go through all of this fast. The Lord will resurrect the bodies of the saints who have died during the church age as well as and as change the bodies of those who are still alive. They will meet the Lord in the air and proceed to the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment will consist of rewards for the faithful service. There will be no condemnation for anyone. Rewards will consist of crowns given to believers based upon our faithful service to Him. The rewards will be proportionate to our faithfulness. And now comes the end. What is the purpose of the Bema Seed of Christ? And what is the purpose of us studying that today? Knowing today what the Bema Seed in heaven is all about causes us to live, to live faithful lives as believers here on earth. Because the greatest consequence of unfaithfulness here on earth is that it disappoints Christ. 1 John 2.28 And now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That is a sobering thought that we could be ashamed as we stand before the Lord. At the same time it should encourage us with the prospect of receiving his lavish rewards if we serve him faithfully during our time on earth. Sin and indifference in this life rob us from our present desire for serving the Lord. That in turn means a loss of rewards because we will not have used our time for His glory. Ephesians 5, 15, 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We have to redeem our time wisely. Sin and indifference result in a loss of power in our lives because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin and indifference because cause us to pass up opportunities for service which we would otherwise perform and be rewarded for. We are to run the race in order to win. The believer needs to be active, full of the Holy Spirit, Eager to please God, whatever we do, we must do unto the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that those who run in race, uh, in a race, all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Don't show up to the race and just walk while everybody runs. Run. And don't just run for your leisure. Run in order to receive that price. But run in a way that you know that it's not just a perishable, but it's imperishable crown that you're going to receive. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And whether you do whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And I will just conclude with the last verse from Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Father, we thank you so much that you, by your grace, revealed to all of us this morning that there is a great time of standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not for the sake of judgment, uh, for the sake of sin, for the sake of salvation. Those are far done and dealt with on the cross if we ever believe. But Father, you revealed to all of us through the study of the Bema seat of Christ that every minute in this world, as we live these lives, 
Every second matters. And we need to redeem our time in such a way that will please you, that will bring joy to your heart, and eventually will not cause us to stand and be ashamed during that amazing, amazing time. Father, we all want not just to be there, but we want not only to receive those rewards, but we want to imitate that which the 24 elders do and put those crowns back at the feet of Jesus. We want to have enough We want to have all of those things. We want everything that we ever did in our lives to reflect pure service to you so we can also give it back to you and put it at your feet. We thank you, Father, for this amazing time of studying your word and understanding that our lives today will reflect what we are going to experience as we stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We bless your name today, and we ask all of this in the matchless name of the Holy One of Israel, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the name of Yeshua, our salvation. In his name, in the name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.